Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi everyone, Happy New Year and welcome back to the first episode of the Brainiac Podcast for the year 2022. I'm thinking this is going to be a really special episode for a couple of reasons. Um, the main one being that this is being recorded on Bell Let's Talk Day, which for those of you who don't know, is a campaign that happens each year in Canada to spread awareness and raise funds for mental health. Um, I'm seeing that there's going to be a lot of important conversations about mental health happening around this time of year. I thought it would be really fitting to discuss concussions from a mental health perspective in terms of some of the psychological outcomes of concussion, what may cause them, and how we can support the mental health of athletes or individuals that have been concussed. Um, and on top of that, given our guest's unique experience, we'll also talk a little bit about the world of concussion policy um, and the importance that that plays as well. And so in saying that, I'm so thrilled to be joined by Sandia Myla Bathula. Um, I've been really lucky to get to know Sandia a little bit through some extracurricular activities over the last year or so. And I'm so grateful that she's taken time out of her busy schedule to join us today. So thank you so much, Sandia, for, for coming on today. Thank you so much for that very kind introduction. And it's an honor to be here and such a pleasure to be chatting with you today. Fantastic. So I'll just give a little bit of a, a bio um, for Sandia so our listeners can get to know you a little bit better. Um, so Sandy is a PhD candidate in the Faculty of Kinesiology and Physical Education here at the University of Toronto and a returning Canadian Institutes of Health Research Fellow in Public Health Policy. She has examined policy, risk factors, education, sex and gender considerations, and management as they relate to concussion, and her current research focuses on the recovery experience of concussed students. On top of that, Sandy and her twin sister also work together on a project called STEAM Sisters, which aims to engage youth in science, technology, engineering, art, and math through hands-on activities and digital and broadcast media. So Sandia, thank you again for coming on. Thank you. And so we'll start with a bit of an icebreaker before we hop into maybe the, the bulk or the more serious points of our conversation today. And so seeing that this is the first episode of 2022, I want to start by asking you for three things um, that you're hopeful for this year. Ooh, okay, yeah, this is such a great way to start. Okay, my first thing that I'm hopeful for is definitely the end of the pandemic, um, for sure. Mm -hmm. So it's obviously taken a toll on everyone in so many different ways and, and impacted so many lives. So um, definitely hopeful for that to end. Big thanks to all the healthcare and frontline workers who work so hard every day um, on that, those stuff. Um, I'm also hopeful 
for, so I've been pretty active um, with my sister on concussion policy and education. So I'm, I'm hopeful to see more progress on that front. Um, I also hope to graduate at some point soon. Um, I'll also throw in there, um, I want to succeed in my goal of cooking something from every province and territory in Canada, because that's my way of traveling without traveling during the pandemic. Interesting. Um, I've, I think I've surpassed three here, but I'm just gonna throw in one more. I hope the Leafs win the cup, knock on wood. Yep, I'm with you there. I'm with you there. <laughs> I think a lot of a lot of people in the city and around Canada resonate with a few of those. So those are some great hopes. Um, <laughs> definitely share a lot of them. And so now let's sort of get into the the meat of today's episode. So we're kind of diving into the psychological aspect of concussion now. And I know this is a bit of a, a broad question to start with, but we can start here and maybe get a little bit more specific. Um, so what are some of the common psychological outcomes that those with a concussion might experience following injury? Yeah, so it's a, it's interesting because it's almost like a double whammy with concussion where it's an invisible injury since we can't see that the person is injured. But with the psychological consequences, similar to other mental health concerns, it's also invisible. So this has, I think, in part contributed to the fact that psychological outcomes after concussion have been overlooked which is quite problematic um, as it can be some of the most difficult and debilitating effects of the injury and could leave people who are injured suffering even more. Um, and so we know that in terms of what that actually looks like, uh, concussions can, the experience of a concussion can vary from person to person because it's a very individual injury experience. Um, but some of those concerns can include cognitive, emotional, behavioral symptoms, and that could mean irritability, confusion, feeling off, experiencing like unusually, being unusual, unusually emotional, um, nervousness, sadness, depressive symptoms, for example. Um, and it can even go even beyond that, like fear of the unknown, um, tension, anger, grief, loss of identity, fear of reprisal at work or at school, being disconnected from something that that individual has relied on in terms of familiarity and something that they're used to doing. Um, and then even worrying about like mental health or health in other ways or just overall health uh, and what the injury means for that, especially with things like chronic traumatic encephalopathy and other terms like that being thrown around as, as hot topics. Um, yeah, I could go further into that in terms of for athletes, like there are studies that show that at least 20% of athletes experience depressive symptoms after a concussion mm -hmm. and age might also play a role in that. Um, but we do need more research to, to kind of really understand how that factor influences this. And, and athletes are also known to have very particular experiences in terms of increased fatigue, decreased vigor, um, increased negative mood, as we've just discussed, um, compared to athletes with other types of injuries. Um, and that fatigue could be related to cognitive impairment, depressive symptoms, even disturbed sleep. And that can just kind of become quite a cycle as well. Absolutely. I think some of those points that you made about like just the, the fear of the unknown aspect of concussion is sort of it can be a big driver of some of these these outcomes and not a lot is known by a lot of people about sort of concussions and what can come with that so i think that was a, a really great point and just kind of building off of that based on kind of what you've learned over the years and some of your own research is there a period of, of time following concussion where these types of outcomes may be more prevalent so for example is someone more likely to experience them within those first maybe let's say two to three days after concussion, or is it maybe more likely to experience them if recovery isn't going well and then concerns begin to grow from there? 
Yeah, that's a really good question. So I, I think it because it's such an individual injury, it can vary and it can depend on the person and their specific individual context. So we can see both acute sort of and longer term psychological mm -hmm. effects there of a concussion. And I would say that across the board from what I've seen personally, um, they are all of those are not quite as well as addressed as other aspects of the injury, such as the physiological side of things. Um, but I do think things are, are starting to change and there's still a lot to be done. So I would say that fear, that frustration that can, I've seen that immediately after the injury. What is this injury? What does it mean for the individual? It depends on how much they've heard about a concussion before or, or not. Um, and then kind of further along the line, uncertainty. When will this recovery experience end and, and what's going to happen to this person? Can they reintegrate into their normal previous pre-concussion life um, as well as they hope to, those sort of things I'm, I'm seeing in my research now. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's really spans across that entire period. Yeah, I think a common theme that we've kind of, you know, touched upon only in just these first few minutes is that it's it's a really an individual injury and yeah. it, it's like not a one, you, know, you can't sort of paint all concussions with one brush, so to speak, like everyone has different experiences and that, and kind of make it even more difficult to work through from a clinical perspective too, I'd imagine, just because we really need to know what's going on because you can't make assumptions or you can't generalize things a lot of the time, which is you know, Absolutely. kind of a, a quirky thing about concussions in comparison to other types of injuries. Absolutely. And even if somebody, you know, knows somebody else who's had a concussion and, and engages with them, speaks to them about their experiences, I think it's still a good way to learn about what a concussion can be like. Sure. But it doesn't necessarily mean that the other individual will experience the same thing. So that can still play a role in terms of the, the psychological aspect of the recovery experience, because it's kind of, it can still be isolating and frustrating and, and give that sense of uncertainty. Definitely, definitely. And now let's just turn our focus to athletes just just for a second here and mm -hmm. you know it's it's known for concussions that you know biological recovery can in some instances lag behind clinical recovery um you know is it is it the case you know in the same case with the psychological aspect where you know most of an athlete's physical or cognitive symptoms might be normal and return to baseline and so they're able to return to play but they might not be feeling right or back to normal mentally is that is that something that can happen or commonly happens with concussions yeah in my experience i would definitely say that i've seen this and, and not for everyone but for mm -hmm. it's definitely something that we can see so the clinical recovery might be achieved when a person is deemed able to return to their their normal activities whether it be work school sport um, by somebody with the appropriate medical authority um, but we can see still see those lingering psychological concerns for some people um, that can include what we were talking about before in terms of fear of return to sport or work. Um, and that could be due to fear of re-injury or feeling that they're just behind others um, on their team or at work. Um, ongoing anxiety in terms of what they were experiencing previously, depressive symptoms that don't necessarily just go away super easily. Um, so it's important to be aware of that for someone who is making that transition back to work or school, sport or school so that we can make sure to to make that an, an environment that is more welcoming, that is gonna be the easiest transition for that person back to whatever activity they're returning to. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking about this now, if an athlete's returning to play and they're not maybe psychologically ready, maybe physically ready, but they're not psychologically ready, could that put them at a risk for you know, another injury or poor performance? And, and if that's the case, should we maybe change how we, how we sort of 
analyze or assess return to play and maybe psychology should have or the psychological aspect should have you know, more influence than it does currently yeah um so anecdotally at least i would say that i i have seen this and i am i actually am very pro doing something like a psychological assessment before mm-hmm. if possible uh, for athletes that might be possible of course i think there there are ways that that needs to be looked at in the research as well in terms of is that what's the most appropriate approach to do something like that? Because if we can do that afterwards, like you're mentioning, there are certain things that we can look at in terms of social support or the lack of that or different things that we can, uh, aspects that we can look at in terms of seeing what what does this person actually need and what can we put in place for this person to make sure that they are able to return um, at a level that they want to. Absolutely. And sort of on that note, I think this is a perfect segue into sort of the support aspect of it. So I want to now focus on how patients who experience psychological outcomes, again, can be supported. So based on what you know, is it, you know, and I assume the answer to this is, is no, but is it more of a, a waiting game for these symptoms to subside? Or are there things that we can actually do specifically, like certain interventions that can help to relieve these symptoms and maybe make one more psychologically ready to return to work, school, or sport? Ooh, okay. This is this is a really good question. And yeah, so the general approach to concussions used to be, as you know, more of a waiting game, like with literal complete rest uh, mentally and physically in a dark room. But as we move away from that, I think the same goes for the psychological side of the injury. Mm-hmm. Um, we shouldn't just wait and let people suffer. We need to find ways to help and intervene and give these injured people the tools to succeed and feel supported. Um, and the research tells us that the way an individual responds to injury and the injury experience can be influenced by several factors. If we're talking about injury just broadly here, um, and those can include personal factors such as coping skills and external factors such as influences from others in their lives or something like access to rehab or access to to resources. Um, And while the research is still ongoing in terms of how this applies specifically to the concussion context, I think we can still find ways to start intervening and trying to address those psychological effects that we're seeing now and not waiting for the the best approach to to be found Um, because people are still suffering from that now. And I think we do need to do something now. Absolutely. And so we know that exercise can definitely help improve mood uh, among many, many other things, of course. So that's a really big one, I think, in terms of the overall recovery from a concussion. Um, but there are other techniques that, that are maybe less researched, but um, again, I think where there's a need doing something proactive to help while not causing further harm is a reasonable approach to take. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a, I don't know if you can hear the phone, I'm sorry. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Can you hear it? Do you want me to pause? Nope. No, no, it's all good. Oh, okay. Um... If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So what was I saying? Talking about oh, yes. exercise and then some less, mm-hmm. re- less research, but still possibly oh, beneficial yes. aspects. yes. Thank you. So there, there is some research on satisfaction with social support um, being helpful to decrease negative mood states um, and particularly anxiety. So I find this one particularly interesting because it's not the support system necessarily itself, but what the concussed person feels about that support mm-hmm. system. So whether they're actually satisfied with their need for support or do they actually okay. feel supported? And that social support system for, for an athlete, for example, could include family, friends, teammates, um, and sometimes also include like trainers, coaches, and other team staff. But if somebody is a teammate or a friend of somebody with a concussion who's an athlete, I mean, that's something to keep in mind to, to make sure that you are able to provide that support as much as you are able to for the person mm-hmm. in your life. And sort of touching on the idea of social support, which I've actually noticed is coming into like the literature a lot more recently, which is mm-hmm. great. What are some of those things that an athlete or a person with a concussion would look for out of their close um, social support network to, to sort of help them through that injury? Yeah, okay. So I think if you are somebody who's a family member or a friend of mm-hmm. someone who's had a concussion or a teammate, mm-hmm. um, being aware, being educated, seeking that educa- education yourself, um, being supportive, mm-hmm. Um, asking what that person who has a concussion needs while also balance, balancing how you know that person and not overwhelming them because that could be a bit of a delicate yeah. balance there. Being a resource and knowing that flexibility can be really, really helpful and just being genuine with your support mm-hmm. I think is really important and letting the concussed person guide 
that sort of process, but mm-hmm. making sure that they know that you're there for them um, and then helping them to do the things that they enjoy to do um, while making concerted efforts to include them in ways that they can participate in trying to keep them connected. So like in a friend group, sometimes if a, a friend group tends to go out and do things sort of that includes more sound and, and that sort of thing, one of the common mm-hmm. effects of a concussion is sensitivity to sound. So yeah. trying to maybe keep in mind that okay, this person in the friend group can't do those things. So how can we keep them included? How can we modify what we do to make sure that there's some level of support and, and they're not going to feel isolated and kind of frustrated and alone? And that's that's fantastic. And and, and also kind of as, as you were saying, it, I couldn't help but, but think like that sort of sounded exactly if I were to ask you a question, not somebody who was had a concussion, but someone who's experiencing any mental health, um, mm-hmm. you know, issues or mental illness. It sounds like social support is, you know, just being there for that person, understanding what they need and doing your best to be there in a genuine way. I think there's a lot of overlap and, and it makes sense yeah. that that would be the case as well. Just, you know, people who, you know, need a little bit of, of help, it, you know, goes a long way just to be yourself and be there for them in any way that you can. I think that's, it's a pretty important um, lesson to take away for somebody, who, yeah. if you know somebody has a concussion or, you know, anybody who is experiencing any sort of difficulty or with their mental health as well. So I think um, Bella, let's talk to you. That's a, was a really great point that you made. And I really appreciate that point as well. Yeah, yeah, no, it's so important to be there for, for other people. And, and kind of if we're, we're there for each other, I think we can do a lot of good. Absolutely, absolutely. And so just keeping an eye on the time here, we'll wrap up with a, um, a another conversation, kind of switching gears here, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you a little bit about your work in concussion policy, because I find that, to be honest, really, really fascinating. Um, so just start with a bit of an intro question. So where did your interest in like policy work come from? And then how did you get started um, in this area of concussion work? Ooh, okay. Um, so I've been really excited and honored to, to have the opportunity to work on concussion policy, something that's super close to my heart. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been doing this with my sister. Um, I'm a twin. <laughs> and my sister is a, uh, an MD, PhD candidate at the Institute of Medical Sciences um, at U of T. So we actually got started in this field um, way back in the day by working on proposed legislation at the federal level. So beginning in 2010. And we consulted on Ontario policies. So we're longtime advocates on concussion issues, and we do a lot of science communication as well as the STEAM sisters, and we bring in a lot of that concussion stuff um, through that as well. Fantastic. So you you did mention some of those pieces that you worked on. I want to just probe a little bit further into each of those so you can kind of tell our listeners what those projects were involved. So one of those one of those pieces that I came across during my preparation for this episode was that piece of um policy that you put together with your with your twin sister was called the pan-canadian concussion strategy is that correct yeah you did your homework (laughs) (laughs) can you maybe walk us through what that was and sort of maybe how it progressed and then where it stands now if it's still you know being um, discussed yeah absolutely yeah yeah so kind of if i take it from how it progressed like where it started was our interest actually from our love of the the coolest sport on earth, also known as hockey. Um, so we're super passionate about it. We love to play it and watch it. And it really struck a chord way back in the day when we learned about the story of Paul Korea, for example, and, and many others. 
um, whose careers were really affected by this invisible injury. And so, so we started to read more about it in the literature and we had the chance to write policy um, or proposed policy. And uh, I learned a lot more about it in a course that I took um, at U of T called Sport Medicine with Dr. Doug Richards, which is mm -hmm. an amazing course. Um, and we continue to just talk to Canadians with concussions um, and we realize it's an injury that goes far beyond sport. So that's a big piece of this here. Yeah. It's not just sport, it's injury Definitely. at work or home or yeah, at school, mm -hmm. on the road or anywhere really. Um, and so because there wasn't any policy or regulation in place in Canada at the time, we were really kind of inspired to address that ourselves to write up this pan-Canadian concussion strategy, which is... Um, we started through proposed legislation uh, and we recognized that there was a real gap in policy. So after speaking to thousands of Canadians and, and internationally as well, um, of people who had concussions or knew people with concussions or in some way were affected by this injury, we researched the gaps in policy. We got a petition of over 6,000 signatures signed. Um, it, was a, it was such a good experience to, and a very moving experience to be able to mm -hmm. talk to these people who had concussions and, and hear their experiences and hear how these things had affected their lives. Um, and, and yeah, so we, we also were very lucky to, to travel the country and internationally to share our petition and our idea. So it ended up as a private member's bill in 2014 in the House of Commons in Ottawa supported by a member of parliament, Dr. Kirsty Duncan, who was such a pleasure to work with. Um, and our strategy was comprehensive and it addressed many aspects and facets of concussions in Canada and beyond. Um, but I can summarize that a bit by saying that our bill asked the government to do three specific things. Um, and these include implementing a national concussion awareness week, a national strategy to address concussion in terms of awareness, prevention, diagnosis and management, as well as a center for excellence to promote research and ongoing evaluation of policy, especially since, as we know, this is such an evolving field and it wouldn't make sense for policy not to evolve with it or, or to be static or something like that. Sure. So yeah, we, we continue to work on this issue and, and part of that for us is to continue the conversation about it. Um, and you're doing a fantastic job of that here. So that's super awesome. <laughs> and in continuing that conversation, we kind of, we do that in schools or in events with the general public, but also still with the government. Um, so just before the pandemic, we were asked to provide our recommendations to the subcommittee on sports related concussions in Canada. Um, so oh, we were there. Wow. Thanks. Wow, um, it was a really, great. it was a really interesting experience. Um, we were there representing researchers and policy consultant perspectives, but also as individuals mm -hmm. um, with the experiences that we had. Um, and they also spoke to other researchers and athletes and clinicians. And so there was a, a report that was published of the recommendations. And we were super delighted to, to see that the report included some of our original recommendations from the bill. So that includes like the Concussion Awareness Week, which now exists, an expert wow. advisory board. Uh-huh. And uh, the collaboration between provinces and territories and the federal government to ensure that there's collaboration and discussion going on here because again it's not it's not a static field mm -hmm. and we need to see that movement and to ensure that we learn from each other as well wow i think that's honestly such an incredible story and honestly like quite inspiring Thanks. the way you and your sister sort of took a passion that you know from watching hockey to recognizing there's an issue here and then actually creating you know tangible change in, in our country and uh, i'll get to it a little bit in our province too of ontario which is it's honestly just so so oh. incredible and like it's <laughs> we really really, really inspiring as well we were really lucky to have the this this experience and this opportunity and it 
I mean, it takes a really long time to work For in the sure. policy field. Um, but we were just so so motivated, I think, particularly by the stories that we were hearing from Canadians mm -hmm. and others and how these things affected their lives. And it was just very, very motivating to want to do something about that and try and help. For sure. I guess it's you know one thing for you to care about something personally, but then to sort of see that other people have been affected by this thing that you care about and that there's really a need for change. I can sort of, I only imagine how motivating it is to like want to then put that into action and create change. And the fact that you've been able to do that is honestly great, really great. I think you put that really nicely and thank you. I think you put that really nicely in terms of seeing that that need for change because it was something we could see when we we're talking to people about that passion about the topic and how it really affected them. And it really kind of highlighted and emphasized that mm -hmm. Canadians wanted to see change in that area and, and needed something and we needed to see some policy change there. Certainly. And Speaking of you know, policy change and something, the last thing that I want to talk about before we sort of wrap up here is that I saw that you um, had consulted and helped inform a piece of concussion legislation in Ontario called Rowan's Law. Um, can you give a, a brief introduction um, to Rowan's Law and what it is for maybe those who are unfamiliar and then sort of give us a brief description about you know, how that opportunity came about and, and how you were involved in that process? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, maybe I can kind of make a bit of connection to, to the bill that we were working sure. on federally. So our private members bill that started way back when and was introduced in parliament federally in 2014. And later the same year, Ontario became the first province to have some sort of policy in place in terms of a policy program memorandum 158, which was what it was called um, on behalf of its ministry of education. Um, so yeah, we were really honored to be able to help on that we were asked to consult on it to provide our thoughts and perspectives and I guess expertise on what was needed in this type of policy um, and this policy directed school boards across Ontario to implement things like concussion awareness prevention identification management and training programs um, in their elementary and secondary schools and I think it's it's certainly wasn't perfect um, but a, definitely a good step in prioritizing mm. the problem very good step in, in the right direction. And so this, what we call PPM 158, as it was known, became Rowan's Law in 2018. Um, so that is legislation that's named after Rowan Stringer, um, who was a secondary school student and rugby player who was um, who had multiple unmanaged concussions and tragically died, uh, which is a terrible, terrible situation and a tragedy. Um, but after that, um, the law became known as Rowan's Law, and it, it, it now describes new requirements for both sport organizations and school boards. And I think kind of the overall idea here is that with something like this in place and then continuing to update it, hopefully we'll never see something like Rowan's story ever again. Um, and so some of the pieces that we're seeing with this legislation is a requirement for sport organizations to confirm awareness of concussion resources, to do things like establish a code of conduct to avoid risky behavior, trying to convince people to have that sort of culture shift away from that sort of behavior, um, and to establish um, a removal from, but also return to sport protocols for these student athletes to follow during recovery. And then in terms of the school boards, new requirements um, such as training and education for sport officials, again, codes of conduct and, and concussion tracking, tracking as well, which is super critical for us to be able to tell if the problem is even getting better. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And so there's been some great reception for Rowan's Law. Uh, and I think people might recognize some of the awareness tools from like commercials on TV or on mm -hmm. social media or something like that. Um, sure. But it, 
Yeah, but it also means that there's like tangible tools to support education in the classroom. And again, a long way to go, but at least this provides some sort of consistent expectations for addressing the injury. Um, and hopefully again, never, never to see a story like Rowan's ever again. Yeah, that's for sure. And I think, and the, funnily enough, when you mentioned the idea of actually sort of seeing things around, um, I think it was a couple of years ago, I was actually at a hockey rink and I saw an advertisement on, on advertisement, but on the boards, you know, they have like advertisements on them. Yeah, um, like it was one. Posters. Yeah, it was one for, for Rowan's Law. And I was like, kind of came full circle. I was like, holy smokes, it's actually like yeah. really cool to see this out and at hockey rinks and just have that, funnily enough, that invisible injury become now visible for everyone yeah. to kind of learn about and just have that increased awareness of and I think sort of just that's sort of my piece of Rowan's life kind of how it's come to life for me and my own you know experiences playing hockey and experiences yeah, yeah so it's 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 just really interesting well that put. you sorry yeah oh sorry I was just saying so well put in terms of yeah that's creating the discussion around it so it's making absolutely. it visible more visible um absolutely it, it's it's something that is so important to see and, and yeah it's a really cool example of it there mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just really cool to actually be able to talk to somebody who was involved in that and sort of show that there's like a path for people who are passionate about concussion to make change. Again, as I said earlier, I think that's sort of a really big takeaway for for those listening, and even for myself, who would like to see, you know, concussion more recognized in policy and just around um, yeah. our general day-to-day life. I think it's just great to get your perspective on that and, and hopefully people take some important Thanks. lessons um, from what you had to say today. Thanks. So um, I think that kind of brings us to sort of the end of our episode, again, being mindful of time. So that was you know, so great to get your feedback and your expertise on, on these topics and you know, taking the time to come on to talk about psychological aspects of concussion. And again, like we just finished with this policy side of concussion work that maybe doesn't get a lot of recognition, but as we know, is extremely important. Um, so thank you again for, for taking the time to come on. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, I'll actually just add one more quick thing, maybe, because it's it yes, very absolutely. connects very much to, to the topic of today. Um, just recently, in last fall, um, coming back to the concept of psychological impacts of a concussion, mm-hmm. I had the chance to be present, I guess, as a researcher and policy consultant with experience in this area, um, for an announcement from the, the government of Ontario, where they were talking about strengthening the commitment to athlete safety in terms of investing uh, some sum of money with the Canadian Mental Health Association of wow. Ontario to help raise awareness of how concussions can affect mental health and That's to improve wonderful. education. Yeah, of these like psychological can- consequences of the injury. And I, again, I think, I mean, that's a good first step and there still needs to be a lot more done, but it's good to see these things are, are starting to happen. And yeah, I think that was a, a, an important step. Yeah, for sure. Definitely, definitely a cause for optimism. Then in that case, I wasn't even aware of that. So that's, that's wonderful. And thanks for sharing that with us as well. Of course. And so just before we wrap up, I wanted to give you the opportunity to let our listeners know maybe where they can find you and some of your projects on social media, if they'd like to continue following you and, and the great work that, that you've been doing and will continue to do. Well, thank you very much. Okay, um, so alongside the work that I do on concussions, I'm also an educator and science journalist and podcaster and Instagrammer and do digital media stuff and, and a science a- advocate. Um, so in terms of concussions, you could check out a couple of recent talks that my sister and I gave, one for the Toronto Science Policy Network and another for Exploring by the Seat of Your Pants. 
um, which is a great name. Um, both it of is. those you can find on our YouTube channel, which is the Steam Sisters. Awesome. Um, and you can also follow our adventures in science, technology, engineering, art, and math on Instagram <laughs> and on YouTube, where we just launched season two of our new show, which is called the Steam League, which features superheroes in Steam and which is kindly supported by the University of Toronto Affinity Partners, Manulife, and TD Insurance. Um, but in any case, please check it out on YouTube or on Instagram. That's that's wonderful. Thank you for, for letting us know about those. I'm sure people listening who enjoyed our conversation will be quick to check those out. So thank you for thank sharing you so that. Much. And with that, I think that brings an end to this month's episode. So I just want to thank everyone so much for listening. I hope everyone has a great 2022. And, and lastly, don't forget to follow us on Instagram as well at concussion.can.toronto. Um, thank you so much again and see you next month for a brand new episode. HeadCheck Health bridges gaps in concussion care through simple, powerful technology. Join organizations like the Canadian Football League, Trek Factory Racing, the Canadian Junior Hockey League, Eastern Washington University, and Volleyball Canada who rely on HeadCheck Health to improve communication and optimize care. Visit HeadCheckHealth.com for more. The music at the beginning of this podcast is by Ben Sound www.bensound.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.